Oh, hello. It's Mark and Cole with another Beetle Places podcast. Aren't you lucky? Hi, and welcome to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark. And Cole. And, and Cole. And Cole. Yeah, okay, and, don't and forget Cole. you. And Cole as well. Right. Cue the bagpipes. Well, hello there, everyone. You're all very welcome to this new next episode of We Love Beard Baths hey. podcast. <laughs> Only kidding. <laughs> Rewind. It's the Beetle Places podcast, folks. Just checking if you're listening. So let's hope we find you well and in fine fettle, and one day I'll even look up what fettle means. <laughs> so just to make things a bit more difficult for you, it's yet another episode of the Beetle Places podcast. Another here. one? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm contractually obliged. Uh, we're here and you're with Mark and Col. We're your genial guys, we're your podcast hosts, and this Beatles podcast, uh, Beatle Places podcast, is your regular slice of Beatles miscellany, celebrating the world's greatest band and all things Liverpool. All things Liverpool. Liverpool. Right then. Well, hi everybody. Uh, Colt's quite right, it's time again for another heaping handful of Beatles chitty chat. And as usual, in each podcast, we'll enjoy a mutual appreciation talking about the many places and people the Beatles knew here in Liverpool in their formative years and the stories behind them, which we simply call Beetle Places. Hey, and just to run over our terms and conditions... You've got to do that, you've got to do that. I've got to do it very, very quickly yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beetle Places podcast is about the band and John, Paul, George and Ringo themselves, where they lived, loved, lost, played, dreamed and a lot more besides. Hey, it's also the name of Cole's excellent e-book available on all good online retailers and birdbath suppliers. Oh, yes, they're, they're what? in there too. Yeah, that's Where what it says. Where did birdbaths come from? That's <laughs> what it says. Who wrote this rubbish? <laughs> I did. Oh. You're too kind, it says here. So <laughs> let's away and today enjoy today's episode of the Beetle Places podcast live from Liverpool. Ah, right, stretch again. Here we go. Right, this is where it all began, and a splendid time is guaranteed for all. It's Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col, radio's answer to naked attraction. I'm Colin Gardner, and him over there in the cheap seats is Mark Lannister. Hello, mate. Uh, hello, yourself. Hello, dear. And Beetle plan, Be- Beatles plans, Beatles fans outside of Col's from parlour. And in his back garden as well. And I think he's got some <laughs> hidden in his loft. Uh, I'm Mark. Thanks for turning up. And now you can really turn up the volume. Here we go. Welcome, one and all, to the We Love Bird Bats podcast. No, no. We're only kidding. We're only kidding. Oh, no. yeah. I told you you wrote this rubbish. And so, in this episode, we'll have our regular features, such as the Beatles trivia quiz with Mark. Let's just see how you are today and how good you are. Uh-huh. Not, not Mark, uh, everyone else. Mm-hmm. The Beatle Places album guide to the Fab Four, a mix of quotes and special mini features. Uh, this month in Beatles history, there's at least 12 we can choose from that I know of. Um, the Beatles book review, so me and Mark will be looking at one or two worthwhile reads, and maybe not so. 
And of course, we'll have a special feature or two. This time... It's about Richard the Drummer. Little known facts about a young Richard Starkey Esquire. That's in the drummer. Oh, yeah. Bongo. Bongo. <laughs> Hello, Bongo. Uh, Paul gets mugged. It's, it's really happened, folks. It did. Uh, and then we'll have the random mutterings of Chairman Coll again, uh, quoting fascinating pieces from his book that I'll pick for him uh, to read out. Oh, so you're, more, you're more than fair. I'll flick through the book and you'll have to read something out from it. Cheers, John. Uh, so, on with the motley. First off, it's uh, our regular good feature. It's the good bit. The Beatles trivia quiz with good old Mark. It's all done by Mirrors Glynister. Hey, thank you very much. Right, question number one, the first of three. Remember the song Flying from the album Magical Mystery Tour? On the album, it lasted about a minute and a half. Uh, what was the original length of that track? Any idea? And, uh, Would you take an approximation? A pro an approximation, yeah. It was a bit longer than that. Ah. But, uh, a minute and a half on the album. Because uh, it was originally used, uh, going to be used as sort of background music for the coach mm. uh, flying into clouds. Uh, but it wasn't used. It's quite uh, ambitious, isn't it? They were going to get carried away with all that lot there. So uh, the original length of the flying track from Magical Mystery Tour. Question number two. What did Mal Evans do before he became a Beatles roadie? Have you any idea? Was he a butcher, candlestick maker, or something else? <laughs> and question number three. John Lennon's auntie, Aunt Mimi. Okay. What was her first name? Anybody know? So it wasn't a real name, was it Mimi? Mimi, no, it was no. a nickname, a little nickname. What was her real first name? Okay, we got that. Righto. Let's see who can get them, and meanwhile, let's mosey in over to Cole for our next feature, the <laughs> Beetle Places Album Guide. Mosey. That's what it says here. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> so, thank you ever so much, Mr G. Thank you. Uh, in this episode, we're looking at the fourth Beatles album, Beatles for Sale. Um, here we go. It was recorded between August 11th and October 26, 1964. It was released in the 4th December, 1964. And it reached number one in the charts. Natural, more. Don't forget, the Beatles had already released an album in 1964, which was a hard day's night, so blimey. So the tracks on the Beatles' fourth album were, if I can uh, remind you, uh, Side One, No Reply, I'm a Loser, Babies in Black, Rock and Roll Music, I'll Follow the Sun, Mr Moonlight, Kansas City, Slash, Hey Hey Hey. Side Two, Eight Days a Week, Words of Love, Honey Don't, Every Little Thing, I Don't Want to Spoil the Party, what you're doing, and everybody's trying to be my baby. So, um, sorry, I, I, la I, la I lapsed then, sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, I'll get off my horse now. So the longest track on that album was Honey Dome, which is about 2.59, not even three minutes. And the shortest track was I'll Follow the Sun, which seems longer to me, but um, it was a minute 51. 
And uh, the, the, as you can tell, the band were under some pressure, but they were delivering two albums a year, which must have been gruelling. And the signs that they, that they were so busy were shown in this album in particular, because there were six cover versions on it. So when the uh, Hard Day's Night album had none, compared to this, this sounds as though they were basically like doing the best they could. Their own songs, their own songs on this album were pretty great, though. They were phenomenal. Uh, Eight Days a Week was written, uh, as I've mentioned in the previous episode. It came about because Paul was banned from driving, and uh, this phrase came up when his chauffeur, who drove him around everywhere for a year, mentioned the phrase, I've been busy, I've been working eight days a week. So, um, and voila, one song, thank you very much. So, once again, the album cover was memorably photographed by the very talented, it seems to me, Robert Freeman. Uh, and I noticed there's a lot more melancholy in this album. The songs are sadder. And then the other album, song-wise, John Lennon himself remarked about it uh, at the time. Uh, Where were the band photographed when they sort of in this soft focus uh, picture that you can imagine? Uh, They were photographed in Hyde Park. They were all in dark clothes and they were wearing scarves because it was autumn time. And when the picture was taken, it was uh, just, it was like the Abbey Road picture. It was done very quickly, Uh, no no, uh, second attempts. But I think by now the Beatles were so well versed in posing for photographs there they had no problem. You know, it was just a classic mop top picture. The um, people with the actual vinyl version may know, even though it's in plain sight, but the album itself is a gatefold sleeve. I, I don't I don't kind of notice that until I'm told. It is. Yeah, ah. um, because uh, if you look inside the gatefold, there's the band looking quite cheerful and quite happy, stood beside another photo montage. So it's a good little album, that. And um, uh, it, it, it was Beatles for Sale, 1964. And uh, a great fourth album. Who, who said you could make a rubbish second album? Um, there they are. That was it. That's your lot for free. Now it's back to our clean-living son of a gun, Mark Linister. And the feature now is This Month in Beatle History. It is. Thank you awfully, and thank you for that. So, in every Beatle Places podcast, we feature this month in Beatles history. It gives us a sense of how the band developed over the few years they were in existence, and this time we feature the month of July. August. Or August. So, August. A, bit, a bit of both. Oh, yeah. A little bit of July I'm going to do, <laughs> and then we go into August because there's a bit of a, a crossover. So, uh, here we go. So, 1966... Uh, July the, uh, where are we, the 29th. Quite memorable, really, because this is where things started going a bit awry. The American magazine Datebook published Maureen Cleave's interview with John, in which he said, we're bigger than Jesus now. American Christian fundamentalists reacted with outrage. They burned the records, uh, lots of... Well, first of all, he bought the records. They bought the records. Then he burned them. George said, <laughs> uh, actually, they've got to buy them before they can burn them. <laughs> so, uh, John said, when they started burning our records, that was a real shock, the physical burning. I, could, I couldn't go away knowing I created another little piece of hate in the world. Mm. So, I apologise. That's quite so. prophetic, isn't it? So, uh yeah, is uh, not anti-God, not anti-Christ or anti-religion, John said. I'm not saying we're greater or better. I believe in God, but not as one thing, not as an old man in the sky. 
I believe that what people call God is something in all of us. A reporter said a disc jockey in Birmingham, Alabama, who actually started most of the repercussions, has demanded an apology from you. And John said, he can have it. I apologise to him. So <laughs> he apologised to this bloke who started it all off. And uh, Just make so, a nonsense of it, really. It's a non-secretary, really. It, yeah, he's kind of said it. He made himself famous. Yeah. Really. And which, goodbye. Uh, you know, that was that the end was of him. It, really. Yeah. Oh, blimey. Uh, we head up now to 1967. Okay. Let's hope there's happier times ahead. Well, yeah, near enough. Uh, I'm going to uh, still back to a little bit of July and into August. Uh, on July the 24th, the Times in 1967 ran a full-page advertisement headed The Law Against Marijuana is Immoral in Principle and Unworkable in Practice, which was signed by, among others, all four Beatles and Brian Epstein. Oh. So... The petition's arguments included the following, that the smoking of cannabis on private premises should no longer constitute an offence. Cannabis should be taken off the dangerous drugs list and controlled rather than prohibited. And I think a lot of people still waiting for that to happen. (laughs) It hasn't yet. Uh, The advert cost £1,800 and was paid for by the Beatles uh, at Paul McCup paid for by the Beatles at Paul McCartney's instigation. Wow. Uh, so, well, by, by all accounts, they meant something, didn't they? They meant to say something that way around. So yeah. They did it yeah. in the right way. And uh, in August, George, Patty, Neil and Alex, uh, Ma- Magic Alex Mardas, oh, the, the uh, so-called electronics engineer, mm. uh, visited Ravi Shankar's music school and watched him teach uh, over in America. Uh, and they went. They all then went to sort of uh, promote Abhi, Ravi Shankar's Hollywood Bowl concert the following day, uh, and they all. That's what things started uh, with George and Ravi Shankar and the sort of is more more in a leaning to spiritualism sort of. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was much more engrossed in it than the others. I think the others he, came along for the experience. And to see if it meant something to them, but it meant a lot more to George than it did for life, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he'd been for the rest of his life into Ravi Shankar's music. Mm, yeah. Uh, well, he stuck to his guns, put it that way. He certainly did. Mm. So that was the beginning of August, and a little bit later on, August the eighteenth in nineteen sixty-seven, the single "We Love You" by the Rolling Stones, uh, with backing vocals by John and Paul, was released in the UK. I didn't know that they did backing vocals on a Rolling Stone album. I could only picture them on Rock and Roll Circus, so uh, it, I suppose they were good mates because you remember the deal he had with the Stones, and that was when we release a single, you don't, and when when you do, we don't, and um, that way they kept their hits sort of in an equal on equal terms. It was a good arrangement. Yeah. You think about it, they sort of competed in a in a polite way, really, but. Uh, uh, I'm sure they were they were fans all along, but uh, they didn't make a big deal of it. Right, and uh, now the last little bit. Yeah, 1969, August uh, 1969. They're just finishing off the final edits and recording bits and pieces of uh, the Abbey, Abbey Road album. Um, on August the 18th, the Abbey Road sessions, uh, Paul added piano to the end. Uh, oh yeah. So that wasn't no piano in that to begin with. Uh, they did some overdubs and stuff like that. And uh, on 
uh, August the 22nd of that year, 1969, the Beatles posed together for a photo session in the grounds of Tittenhurst Park. It was the last ever Beatles photo shoot, where they were all together. The single Hare Krishna uh, by the Radha Krishna Temples, produced by George Harrison. Remember that one? Uh, yeah, it may be a B-side yeah. on, on something. Yeah. Mm. yeah, It was released in the US anyway. Uh, so probably not over here. I don't oh, know. It oh, might well have missed been. Missed the boat on that one. Yep, yep. So the last ever photo session by the Beatles all together, hmm. August 22nd, 1969. Again, another iconic sort of photo session, wasn't it? So uh, it's interesting. That, so it, that's it. Thank you, Mark. That's the month. Cheers. This month in Beatles history. It was. And uh, what a month. What a month. Yeah. So uh, we carry on. We, we carry on. Ladles and jelly spoons, we proudly present the Beatles podcast with Mark and Cole. Uh, Who spell checked this? Uh, Now we're going to do a feature um, featuring me and possibly Mark as well. Uh, The Beatles book review. Well, folks, it's time for the Beatles book review. Um, this week and every podcast we possibly can, we shove in a book or two to bring to your attention, uh, which you may pursue and uh, maybe even buy yourself, but on our recommendation or, or not, as the case may be. Um, and the Beatles book review does what it says on the tin. Each podcast, we will look at one or two worthwhile and maybe not so worthwhile books about or revolving around the Beatles in part or together. Um, and this time I'm looking at a book called Revolution in the Head by an author called Ian MacDonald. And Mark will be covering a book called... A Hard Day's Right, which is all about, uh, well, every Beatles song, the stories behind every Beatles song. Ah, that'll do. That'll do for now. I'll just pick a couple of tracks out from it when uh, I'm doing a bit of review. A review. Uh, thank you all. Thank you all. Uh-huh. Much appreciated. So um, let's cover the ground with this revolution in the head uh, by Ian MacDonald. Uh, Mark always picked me up on who published this, so it's on. Aye. It's on. You've vin- got to say that. You've got to give a plug for a poor publisher. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll give something to make them. money. These people, you know. Vintage is the publishers, oh. but it could be anyone in the world, really. Um, I like this book in loads of ways because it's it's. Um, in a way, it covers every so their canon of songs are featured in this book and um, in sequence and in order. And it tells you the song you're talking about or you want to know about, when it was recorded, who produced it, who engineered it, when it was released in the UK, when it was released in America, and then fine details on top of that. So it really is, if you're analytical, and uh, I tend to be with Beatles stuff, um, it's it's a must. It's an absolute must. Um, these these are the sort of details you want to know about. Sometimes, the book that Ian's written, he will talk about a certain chord being played and certain instruments being implemented and certain things being used. Um, typically, he appreciates that they went from very simple songs about love and understanding to very complex songs like "Free as a Bird" and something and so on. I want you, she's so heavy. Again, big songs, big deals. So what I like is a typical bath book for me. I'll sit there and I'll go, right, that song I love, who did what and how many takes did it take to make? Um, Famously, we know that um, 
one of George Harrison's songs, which was uh, off the top of my head, it was Not Guilty. I think it took a hundred and odd takes to make. It, mm. was, it was impossible, ridiculous song. And then it didn't get it, it didn't turn up on the album. Oh. Um, but I will cover a very quick summary of uh, what Ian says in the book. So picking a picking a, a, a song at random, we said, but um, let's see. How about let's sing a song like I'll I'll be back. So on this I'll be back, uh, Ian's mentioned it like this. Leonard did double-tracked his own voice. He played the acoustic and the rhythm guitar. Paul played harmony, vocal, bass, acoustic guitar. George played harmony and vocal. Possibly he played lead guitar and Ringo played drums. It was recorded in one day on the 1st of June 1964 and it was on two albums, A Hard Day's Night and Beatles 65. Um, a fascinating Lennon song, probably written during its holiday in May, occupied the evening session of the 1st of June recording. Personal favourites of his, it was based on the descending chords of Del Shannon's 1961 song, Runaway. Can you tell? I couldn't tell. Um, starting as it ends with an irresolute swing from A major to A minor, a triplet plus a dislocating push which recurs in both the bridge and the middle section. Well, it, it just talks like this all the way through. Um, and yet, you know, it's interesting to read in an encyclopedic way, in a musical way, in a way of showing that you, the band developed more and more um, musical instruments and put more into their songs, took more interest in adapting their songs and playing around with the format of a song. They, he got it right, and uh, Ian's covered this. I did not what, know what Revolution in the Head was to begin with as a book. I thought it was some kind of a comment on their times. Uh, but when I looked at it, I thought, oh, it's about the songs. And it's about every song they sung, even the obscure ones. So um, it's worth picking up Ian MacDonald, Revolution in the Head, on Vintage Publishers. Thanks, Mark. I'm done. Here's five pence for you. Excellent. Right. Uh, my book is, uh, again, I'm going to plug at the publishers again, by Carlton, this bloke called Steve Turner has written this book called A Hard Day's Right, and it's the story... Spelt with a W. ...behind every Beatles song. Ah. Hard Day's Right. Yeah. Mm. W-R-I-T-E. Uh, a new and updated version. It's this particular one I have in my sweaty little hand. Uh, came yeah. out in about 1990... Uh, no, it didn't. 2005 it came out, this one. The updated version. And uh, every song you could possibly think of uh, is there the background of the song and everything? Uh, some nice pictures with them as well, stills from the film, some photographs I haven't seen before. Now, let me dive into it a little bit here. Um, right, how about Martha, my dear, okay. from the, the White Album? Uh, Martha is the name of uh, Paul's two year old Old English sheepdog, but it's uh, that's who Martha is. But it's also the, uh, it's a plea to a girl who's always been a singer's muse. He asks her to remember him because she still believes that they were meant for each other. In Paul, 1968, Paul and Jane Asher had announced that they were going to get married during the year. But uh, Paul started dating other girls and uh, Jane said, oh, I don't think it's going to work out this. Perhaps we'll be childhood sweethearts and meet again. And get married when we're about 70. Well, that's 10 years ago, so, so. Uh, <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, 
Fancy that. Uh, so lots of nice pictures, some old pictures. Yeah, yeah, I like them. I like them. John's uh, Julian. Uh, Lucy Julian's in the picture, Sky, yeah. Lucy in the Sky that, picture. That uh, John wrote about Lucy in the Sky with diamonds. Nice picture of, uh, of that. Uh, every song you could possibly think of. Uh, black and white pictures, colour pictures. And uh, what else have we got in the back? We have an index, which is quite helpful, and a discog discography. A chronology to uh, the different years, and um, that's very good. I can see that's handy. very good. Yeah, and also some songs that they wrote but didn't record, uh, like "Step Inside Love," who uh, Silla Black uh, mm. sang that one. Mm. Uh, some other ones like "Dreamers Do," uh, one called "Cayenne," which uh, I don't know where that one's from. Yeah, I've heard it. It's a very early yeah. Cavern recording that yeah. they did, but um, not nothing to rock your boat. So I can quite recommend that one. It's called A Hard Day's Right, The Stories Behind Every Beatles Song, written by Steve Turner, published by Carlton. Go out and buy it if it's still available. If it isn't, have a look in your uh, sort of uh, old bookshops and see if you can find it. It's uh, under quite mu good. Under music. Under music. <laughs> it'll be there. Thank well, you very much. Th thank you very much. Uh, and very, very, very appreciated. There you go. We've covered it, we've done it, tick that box. Beatles book review on the Beatles Places podcast with Mark and Carl. Super. And now, the weather. There will be lots of weather today, with a chance of more tonight. So wrap up and stay indoors, preferably listening to the Beatles Places podcast with Mark and Carl. Right. I am now going to repeat the questions which I... Did earlier oh, on. You, oh, you must. For you, the quiz. You must. Are you ready? I um, am. I'm not going to give the answers yet, just no. going to do the questions again okay. so uh, you can do your research, get your uh, pens and papers sorted just out. Just let me. Uh, how do you spell Google again? <coughs> um, I don't know. Uh, right, question number one Flying from the Magical Mystery Tour album and film. Uh, on the album, it's a minute and a half long. Just long enough. Originally, it was quite a bit longer. Can any 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 idea how long it was originally? Because um, it was supposed to be used as a backing track for uh, a sequence of the film where the coach flew into the clouds, but it wasn't used. So I'd like to know how long flying was originally. Okay. Question number two is: What did Mal Evans do before he became the Beatles' roadie? What was he? An electrician. A, Trapeze artist. Trapeze artist. Painter decorator. Dog handler. <laughs> uh, Man of mystery. That's it. And finally, question number three. Aunt Mimi, John Lennon's auntie. What was her first name? Her real name. So it, was, it wasn't Mimi. That was a nickname. What was her real name? I thank you. I, I thank you as well. In return, it's like Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, cheers, Mark. Uh, it's time for uh, me good old self to do the next feature tonight, uh, which is uh, coming up any second now. Now, here's Carl with our featured topic tonight. Taken from the Beetle Places book, written by the man himself. Oh, I'm taking a bow. Here's another penny. It's about the story behind Ringo in hospital. Okay, all yours, Carl. Oh, grassy arse. 
Um, yeah, here for me. Um, let's ha- let's hop back historically to a very early time in the Beatles' history. Ringo had a lot of illnesses in his childhood, and uh, this involved a great deal of time spent in hospital. God love him. In 1953, at uh, 13 years of age, he developed a severe bout of pleurisy. He was initially treated at nearby where he lived, in a place called Liv- Royal Liverpool Children's Hospital in Myrtle Street. Um, but he needed a lot more care than they could afford, so they moved him to an affiliated hospital over the water, over the River Mersey, to the Royal Liverpool Children's Hospital, Heswell in Wirral. And he stayed there for two years. Um, so um, compared to where he lived, Dingle, Docklands, the smoke and the soot and the dirt of the River Mersey, very industrious time to speak of, he was in somewhere completely the opposite, clean air, leafy boroughs, Heswell is a very nice place and Paul actually has a home there still. Uh, the hospital was in Heswell and it was remote for a lot of people who came to visit their kids. Uh, it did involve travelling by trains and catching lots of buses to reach this outpost. But Ringo's parents, Elsie and his new stepdad, Harry, they were allowed to visit on Wednesdays and Saturdays and buses were laid on from Birkenhead Woodside bus terminus, which is right next to the Mersey Ferry, so they could afford to do that. Being in hospital, though, for Ringo meant that he would miss out on school. But um, aren't they lucky? A hospital school was set up Mm. to provide education and diversions through a day-to-day hospital treatment. Just as there were specialist children's nurses, there were also teachers in the building who helped him along. Ringo's own uh, recollections were of certain nurses and uh, and the happy time they, they gave him when he was there. He also mentioned that um, he took a real interest in drumming when he was there because the hospital school teachers, who were females, organised a hospital band. And he was quite determined to play the drum. For some reason, he liked drumming. And here are some of the people I found who were there around that time. Now, he mentioned the nursing staff, and uh, the ones I found were Matron Meek, M-W-E-K, uh, she came from Liverpool herself. There was Sister Burtonshaw, who he's mentioned in a few things when he was interviewed. She came from Liverpool as well, and she lived in a place in North Liverpool called Waterloo. Uh, and his his favourite nurse, I think, was a lady called Nurse Margaret Edgington. And I think there's a picture of him with the Nurse Edgington, um, sat in the grounds of the hospital. But um, the, the hospital itself is gone now. It's been replaced by uh, a supermarket. It has. It's a bit grim. Um, but um, they've left one or two things behind uh, in, as, as sort of remnants of what the hospital was. But it was a vast place and still is in a leafy, bur- leafy borough. Now, when it comes to the hospital school, that was run by a fellow called Sam Hamer. Sam Hamer. And what he did was he hired teachers who would provide, let's say, entertainment education. They, they did uh, sort of... Um, counting games and they taught uh, people knitting and uh, they also they had a little band and that included amongst the teachers like I said uh, Ringo remembered the women who were teachers there was a Doris Jameson she came from Heswell herself and there was another teacher there called Vera Wentworth and she lived in a place called Bebbington in Will. So it's well documented Ringo had some major illnesses when he was young. He had appendicitis and peritonitis as a kid, and he missed out on loads of school. So as he, as he began his teens, he suffered this pleurisy. And his great-grandfather, George Parkin, himself, at age 26, he died of pleurisy when he was living in Dockside slums of Birkenhead, um, though Ringo never knew about this. The uh, pollution of industry and, and uh, 
the pollution of the industry around Dingle and Merseyside generally, it affected loads of people. Everyone's had respiratory illnesses and, and respiratory diseases. And most most people who live around Liverpool have nasal tones, don't we, Mark? Oh, ah, yeah. Oh, ah, yeah. So um, the, the thing was that the, uh, the hospital in Heswell allowed the kids to breathe fresh air, frankly. And uh, they even had beds outside of a night on balconies. Can you picture that? <laughs> So, um, not in the middle of winter, yeah, for God's yeah, sake, no. yeah. It was just to get over these illnesses like TB and, and things of that nature. So, with the hospital school, it allowed the kids to pass the time, take their mind off their ailments while they were being treated, and they were given therapy every day. So, they'd learn to crochet and knit. And Ringo was always admitted that he learned to knit. Um, uh, and of course, he performed music was there. So, this musical teacher uh, who came along, she'd come to the ward and she would provide percussive things like maracas and triangles sticks and drums and uh, they would create a little band and what she would do is she would um, indicate to a chart and the kids would play according to the colour of the chart uh, when it was their turn to hit a drum or shake a maraca or whatever they had to do you know bang a glockenspiel and uh, that's where Ringo said once he started to get involved in how much fun that was, he only ever wanted to be a drummer from then on. But uh, me, myself, uh, and Mark will know this, I wanted to find out who this actual teacher was and who gave him the inspiration to become a drummer. And uh, as it turns out, I went to a lot of archives in a place called Whittle Archive Centre, which is part of Willowborough Council. And um, I found out there were four teachers who ran the school and I whittled it down to three ladies. And of course, when he said, when, um, when Ringo said it was one of the females who taught me, uh, I, I found the back history of a lady called Vera Wentworth, which is a lovely, lovely northern name. And uh, lo and behold, she was, uh, she was the lady who taught Ringo drums. So she was uh, a nice lady born in 1908 in a place called Wavertree in, Nor in South Liverpool not far from Dingle, and uh, the Wentworth family relocated around the country before World War II, but they eventually landed in a place called Bebbington in the Whittle uh, just after the war, and she was kind of a schoolmistress teacher sort of person in London, but she came up um, after a stint being an ambulance driver down in London, and she came to work at the Royal Liverpool Children's Hospital in Heswell, as a therapy teacher, and by all accounts, she was an energetic person, a caring teacher. She gave dictionaries to all the sick kids as gifts, and uh, she took them for walks, and she pushed them around in prams if they couldn't do that. She even organised shows for to prove the kids could play music, and the evidence points to the fact that where Ringo talked about the first person who gave him the obsession, uh, it was Vera, Vera Wentworth. Uh, she stayed a spinster. Uh, she died in 1987. And um, nobody knows anything about it, and uh, I'm looking into that one. What do you think, Mark? Excellent. Really Vera Wentworth. Sound a lovely lady. <laughs> I'm lovely too. Aye. Thank you, Colt. Right, we'll have another Beatles feature in just a mo, or just a tick, or just a um, whatever. Even less, even less than even that. Even less than that. First, though, we've got a new segment to the podcast thing. Mm. Doodah, get yourself sorted yes, now. Yes, yes, yes. Right, are you ready? I'm, I'm right. Ready. It's called The Random Mutterings of Chairman Cole. <laughs> so, what's what a, new, you say? What a stupid <laughs> title. It is, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, in each show, I'll give Col a chance, just a little one, uh, to read out an item or two from his uh, Beetle Places book. 
which uh, I'll select at random. You so will. I'm going to tell him to spin the book and uh, flick through the pages. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that cold. Yeah. Uh, so I'll begin proceedings by asking Cole to sit or stand or crouch and flick through his weighty tome and his book. And uh, when I say stop, he'll read out a portion of the book. So hopefully it won't be the index or something rude <laughs> or the first page with nothing written on it. This Copyright page is permanently me. blank. So uh, are you ready? Yes. Brace yourself. Yes. Here we go. Flick your book. Stop. Okay. What have we got? Oh, you like this one. Oh, Good I one. So. Good one, this one. Right. Cost you nothing. Uh, and you can go there every day for free. It's where Paul found out he was in the band. Oh, I. Um, it was the corner of Linkstore Road and Vale Road in Woolton. In July of 1957, about two weeks after the Quarrymen gig at St. Peter's Church Hall, which we were talking about in one of our previous Aye. podcasts, Paul was riding his bike around Walton, because you do, it's a nice posh area, possibly after visiting his mate Ivan Vaughan, who lived in Vale Road, in Vega in Vale Road. So when he got to the corner of this road, Vale Road and Linkstore Road, he bumped into another guy. A blonde-haired lad, big tall fella, called Pete Shotton. Pete Shotton was, Mark? Yes. He was a bezzy of, bezzy mate of... John Lennon. John Lennon. So it was there and then that Paul was given the news that John wanted him in the Quarrymen, be it through a third party. Yeah. But um, Paul had to go, mm, OK. And he accepted and he cycled off home. Just like so that. It's the corner of Linkstore Road and Vale Road, and I've, I've stood on it for uh, historical purposes. You're in the band, lad. Yeah, and it was a case of you're in the band. Ah. Uh, no lawyers, nobody else, <laughs> just Pete Shotton and Paul. I'll have him. And uh, he joined the Quarrymen after that, and uh, let's just say history was made. Marvellous. Okay, you're welcome. Is that it? That'll do for a random muttering. Excellent. Because I talk too much sometimes. No. You, you're shaking your head, but you're going yes, really. Right. You want the best. You expect the best. You deserve the best. So while you're waiting, here's the Beetle Blazers podcast with Mark and Cole. Thanks, Very. That's all right. Now it's time, it says, time, to catch up with our Mark again, because now he's finished painting my fence and he can get round to answering the what? fiendishly fastidious Beetle Places trivia quiz. Fire away, young fella. Ah, thank you. Right. The first question was flying from the album Magical Mystery Tour. Remember that one? Da, 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 something like I remember that. The, uh, the, yeah. the version in tune. Yes, yeah. right, okay. On the album, it's a minute and a half long. But uh, it was a bit longer than that originally, because uh, it was going to be used as a uh, background to the coach, Magical Mystery Tour coach flying through the clouds. Um, so what I'd like to know is, what was the original length of that track? Any idea? Oh, so you said that I could do an approximate one. Go on then. I Ten minutes. You... No, it wasn't. More? More. Oh, heck. 15 minutes. Very nearly. It was 20. Hell. 20 minutes long, that track was, <laughs> before uh, they edited down to a minute and a half. So yeah. what the rest of it was and where it is, I've never heard it. I'd like to hear the whole of it, I really. Suppose it could, no, Must I suppose be it could be on the video of the movie. Mm, no, I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. 
I wonder if it's on one of the um, uh, uh, Beatles anthology things. I don't, I don't think I so. I can't picture it. No. I can't remember, but... Foreign one, no. Somebody needs to dig it out. Right. Okay. And question number two was, what did Mal Evans do before he became the Beatles' roadie? Now, Mal Evans was the big fella with glasses on. Um, and before he became Beatles' roadie, any idea what he was? So was he? We, we've eliminated tightrope walker. Yeah, he wasn't a butcher. Elim eliminated mermaid. Yep. And um, he didn't make bird baths. No. <laughs> what was he? Any idea? No. Fire away. Give up. He was a GPO engineer ah, or a right. telephone engineer. Yeah. So that's what he did. He put. Uh, he worked. I don't know where he actually worked. Any idea? He, he was based in town. Yeah, and, possibly uh, Old Hall Street. Yeah, because he was based in town, he could nip to the cavern for his lunch. Ah, it was, wasn't that far away. And really. he met the lads. Yep. So uh, that's so, how he got to know them because he so knew his. He knew his lecky. That was it. And he could fix things. So, so Mal Evans was a telephone engineer, and a finale, Aunt Mimi, John's auntie. She had a first name, as most people do. What was her first name? <laughs> Sorry, Major Lapson. <laughs> what was Aunt Mimi's first name? And it wasn't Arthur. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, scratch that then. Um, right. right. Tell me. It was Mary. Oh, Mary. As Mary. in from the dairy. Aye. <laughs> so it was Aunt Mimi. John's Aunt Mimi. Her first name was Mary. Huh. What was her husband's name? Uh, God love him, it was George. Correct, yeah, well done. George, and uh, I've got a little feature on him in a couple of weeks' time. Jolly good, nice bloke. Mm. Apparently so. Yeah. Okie dokie, so there's the three answers to the quiz. 20 minutes, a telephone engineer and Mary. Well, what else would you get answers like that? So, <laughs> all right, we're done. People think we're a pain in the neck, and some even have a lower opinion of us. We are the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Carl. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's all um, right. Mark, again, splendid in his quiz, uh, quiz robes. And uh, he'll be back with more quiz stuff in, uh, in our episode. Uh, in another episode of the podcast. OK. <laughs> um, this feature is a weird one. When Paul got mugged. He really did get mugged. Uh, he was a kid, but he got mugged. Various books on his uh, very early colourful life. Uh, I've only just skimmed the surface on this fact. But when he was a little lad, he was robbed of his watch. And uh, there's not many details about it. But he did say he went to court for it. And uh, that was the first time he went. Uh, because he was a witness. And um, official records were said to exist. And I, I, I dug them up, as you know, Mark. I went and found them. Aye. Arrest records and uh, court records. And it tells an interesting story. So the story goes that when Paul was living in a place called Ardwick Road in Speak, um, it puts his age around 1950, about 1951. He was uh, about the age of 10, um, probably 1952 maybe. He was down at the beach of Oglet Shore, which is just outside Speak, and it's on the Mersey coastline, and that's where it's quite pretty, his little lighthouse, his nice beach, and there's a lot of nature down there. It's not like the grimy old River Mersey further up, but um, it's kind of a sedate little nature reserve if you want to. And Paul often went there. Said, what's said is that there were some bigger boys in the, in the, on the beach of Oglet Shore that day, and he knew them, and they were from his neighbourhood. So they approached him and a few other lads, and he just took his wristwatch off him. So um, Paul had often commented that these lads lived at the back of his 
own house in Ardwick Road. So when um, when I was looking this up and researching this, first of all, I found the records of the actual court appearance and the date. And they, these are records called Petty Sessions Court records. And it's when there is less serious crimes committed, but they have to be done anyway. And young offenders are usually the result of it. So I found them from the Liverpool Records Office, the brilliant Liverpool Records Office, which I love and adore. And the court session itself was held at a place called Liverpool Juvenile Petty Sessions Court, Crosshall Street in Liverpool. Now that nowadays is student accommodation, but it's still there, still there. Um, it used to be a chapel and it was converted at that time in the 50s into a juvenile court. And what was strange about it was, if you can picture a court, it's all very oak, oak lined and, and thin and then there's official seats and it's all very austere and everything right. else. This was kind of done away with all that. It was just a table, a couple of chairs, nobody dressed up. Uh, it was it was a way of getting sort of uh, young people to feel less fearful of going to court. And it worked, it seems, because Paul turned up, as did the other lad who was mugged on the day. And the the uh, actual session records of the court appearance for the episode, the court appearance took place 24th of April, 1953. So that would have been Paul being around 11. Around right. 11. Right, so... So actually, uh, to be specific, 10, year, 10 years, 10 months. And he was court case number five. And uh, there was a there was a policeman who looked after everything. He was a uh, Thomas Boggis. I love that name. And he <laughs> he belonged to the CID, which is the Criminal Investigation Department. But round here, anyone who's in the CID is also nicknamed Coppers in Disguise. So well, that's where he came from. So he was a local guy, and he did a report on the offenders who stole the watch from Paul and took some money off another lad. And it went like this. A person called Percy Lewis and a Peter Davis, both aged 14, did feloniously steal from the persons of Leslie Rogers and two others of four pennies, a pen knife and a watch, the property of Leslie Rogers on Oglet Foreshore on the 17th of April 1953. Now, as you'll see, there's no mention of Paul by name there because he was one of the two others. Um, but it is about him and uh, the lad Percy Lewis did, like he said, live over the over the back wall of where he lived. So it is exactly who he is and where he is, and we've got it all banged to rights. So the um, the poor fellow was uh, convicted. There's no details of who this uh, other person that Paul was mugged with, a fellow called Leslie Rogers. It might have been just a, a lad on the beach who he knew or somebody who lived in his neighbourhood. We never will know. But on the same day, there was all the petty sessions that were recorded, and I, I made a note of them like I do because I'm nosy. One was a theft of tools by a 12-year-old. There was a theft of a weighing machine by a 13-year-old. Why? That must have weighed a ton. Somebody, a 15-year-old had an arson attack. He was in there for summit. And there was a couple of breaking and entering and some lad stole cars. And he was 13. So, you know, imagine Paul surrounded by all these people. But um, when Paul gets done for speeding and he does finally attend a court in Wallasey, and that's another story because there was a lot of proper criminals he had to sit with on the day while he was waiting his turn. But that's another, another story. Um, on, on the day, the offenders, Pete, Percy Lewis and Peter Davis, were found guilty. They were fined. How much do you think? Um, they were fined for mugging. It says, I would say, oh, mugging, quite serious, really. Yeah. Uh, 20 shillings? Yeah. 
you're ka-ching, you're right. Wow. But they were remanded for 14 days. Uh, so 20 shillings in old English money was nearly a pound. But not far off. Yeah, nearly a pound. So uh, in the notes of the sessions, there is a name that um, uh, Leslie Rogers' name is crossed out and another fellow called Jared Kelly, who Paul probably did know, is written in. So the... Um, the persons concerned were who were mugged were Leslie, Jared, and Paul. And uh, truth be known, we don't know anything about Jared. Um, he may have just gone off and uh, done his own thing. And that, that was it. Paul was mugged, 10 years, 10 months old, on Oglet Beach in 1953. Long time ago, but um, he recorded quite well in later years. And uh, we found the evidence, it's all there. Hey, why wasn't Paul mentioned at all? Uh, it was to do with his dad. Uh, his dad said, I'd rather my son was a witness and, and told the truth and everything. Gave him kind of a, a lecture on that, but he didn't want his name published. Ah. So for some reason, his dad said, leave him out, but he'll certainly attend. Ah, there mm. you go. Well, There's thanks. a Beatle place, Cross Hall Street. Hey. So uh, we've been past that as well. I think it's a pizza house now. Is this? <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I get lost. Uh, I get lost in Liverpool. Uh, hey, thanks, Carl. He knows his onions, doesn't he? Certainly does. Red onions and Spanish onions and everything else. I can just about tell. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Do you know what do you know about onions? Anything? Nothing. Uh, you can eat them. Good. That's all right. And some make you cry. That's all right then. Good. I think we're done here. Okay. Time to get my coat on. Uh, Cole's packing his bags as I speak. Suitcase at the ready. It is, and we hope it was all you thought you you needed to know this time around. But we've always got more, and we'll always be back with more for more Beetle Places podcasts. Absolutely marvellous. So another Beatles podcast finishes its drink, has a butty, has a lie down, finds the exit and leaves quietly. The bad news is we're coming back. Oh, <laughs> good news is we can have a cup of tea now and a biscuit, and I hope Cole remembered to buy some custard creams. Oh, oh no, he's forgotten again. <sighs> yes, folks, you're quite right. We've said enough. It's time to tootle our pips and we'll come back soon. Enough with yet another Beetle Places podcast for your wonderment and delectation with all the usual regular features. And next time our features will include a brief history of Cynthia Lennon because uh, people have been asking about it and there's more to her than you may realise. All right. In the meantime... Remember, we don't take our don't don't can't even say it properly. We don't take ourselves too yeah. seriously, and uh, hopefully you don't either. Uh, oh, no, are you? No? No, no, no. So, yeah. Right. So that's enough for me. And that's enough for him. Turn off for now. Turn off for now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col. We hope to see you again real soon and don't forget to visit the gift shop on the way out.